Hello, everyone. Welcome back to I See What You're Saying, the Disciplined Listening Podcast. I'm Michael Reddington, and today it is my pleasure to introduce our next guest and my good friend, Mr. Howard Burrows. Howard is a Divisional Director of Human Resources for Eaton, and he may have a surprising background for a senior human resources executive. He is a former Division I wrestler. He is a former Marine Corps officer. And he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Now, while that might sound surprising for somebody in human resources, by the end of our upcoming conversation, you will see why his background really does work to create the perfect perspective and leadership set to be successful in a human resources role. As the conversation goes, how he's going to share so many wonderful illustrations and examples of developing his leadership style, understanding how important it is to be humble and adaptive, the importance of lateral communication and trusting your subordinates and putting other people in position to succeed, the ability to look for potential in others, connect dots that maybe other people can't see, while constantly working on your own problem-solving processes and helping others make the best of themselves and their opportunities along the way. It really was a fascinating conversation and one that I certainly wish could go on a lot longer than it did. So before we jump into the conversation, I want to make sure we thank our sponsors. First, as always, we want to thank Humantel for anybody interested in developing the skill set of understanding what people are likely thinking and feeling in any moment in time based on the context of the situation by evaluating their counterparts changing facial expressions of emotions, I highly recommend their training. If you go to humantel.com and enter the code in of 25 you'll get 25% off all of the online training that Humantel offers. I highly recommend it. I've done it all myself. Head over to humantel.com and enter the code Inquasive, I-N-Q-U-A-S-I-V-E 25.com for 25% off all of their top level non-verbal behavior recognition training. I highly recommend it. Also, please head over to ei-magazine.com for the Emotional Intelligence Magazine and check out their library of emotional intelligence-related resources, from articles to blogs to podcasts to interviews to online training, in-person cohorts. They're doing so many things over there. Please take a few moments to check out Emotional Intelligence Magazine. And of course, for all the professional interviewers in the room, please head over to certifiedinterviewer.com and check out the International Association of Interviewers. Explore their programs, their online resources, all the community events that they have going on. See if what they provide and the resources they provide are right for you and your investigative team. And of course, while you're there, check out the Certified Forensic Interviewer designation and see if that is the proper next step for your investigative journey or your team's investigative journeys. Once again, thank you all for taking the time to join us today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you very much. So without further ado, I bring to you Howie Burrows. Good morning, Howie. Man, it is so good to see you. Thank you very much for taking the time to do this. I am thrilled that you carved it out so we can have this conversation because I'm cheating. I know you're a big fan of transparency. So in transparency, <laughs> we're friends. To be transparent, we're friends. But you have such a unique background and story and outlook that I'm really excited to share it with everybody. Thank you for being here. Well, I appreciate the invite. And I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to spending some time with you. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thank you. So as we like to ask people just to give our listeners an idea of who we're talking to and why we're talking to them, if you could take a few minutes and please walk us through your journey of how you got to your current role. 
Wow. So, uh, so I'm a human resources director. So I'll start with the current, right? Human resources director with Eaton Corporation. So, you know, we're, a, you know, Fortune 500 power management company, right? So anything that has anything to do with power, distribution, electricity, um, we're involved in. Um, I'm with the electrical sector. We also have an industrial sector. So involved in aerospace um, and, and, and vehicle and some other ventures as well. Uh, my organization is uh, is about uh, 1,100 people, and we're a field-based organization. So that's where I am today, right? Um, if if you would have asked Howie 20 years ago, if you saw yourself in human resources, I would, probably would have asked you what was human resources, right? So um, after you know uh, after college, um, I I went to college on an ROTC scholarship, so. Um, after college, I was commissioned um, as an officer in the Marine Corps. Um, I did my initial training down in Quantico, Virginia, as all officers do. And I was uh, selected to be an infantry officer, very competitive. Any Marines who, who listen to your podcast will know, Marine officers know that uh, the selection process for infantry officers um, can be pretty challenging, but I, I was able to, to, to be an infantry officer. Um, nine years active duty in the military, uh, Several roles, leadership roles. So I was with uh, I, I was with uh, Light Armor Reconnaissance Battalion as platoon commander and a co- company executive officer. Um, I went on then to uh, Marine Security Guard duty, which is actually embassy duty. So the Marine Corps is responsible for providing uh, physical security at at uh, embassies throughout the world. So I did that. That was a very unique experience. It put me. Um, in a different world, right? Um, mingling with diplomats is certainly not uh, the same experience as I had being a, uh, uh, you know, a young Marine officer in charge of an infantry platoon, right? But those are two completely different experiences, and and one that I actually feel fortunate that I had to do that I had the opportunity to to do because it's it's unique. There are very few people in the Marine Corps who get to do an assignment like that. But it was it was an opportunity to live in another part of the world, experience several different cultures, gain some some you know different perspectives on um, just I would say how people go about their their daily lives. I, I would I would say we're incredibly privileged um, to have what we have in the United States. Others aspire to have what we have, but it certainly gave me um, a perspective. And and I was in the Middle East for for two years and. And I would say more than anything, and, and, you know, the Middle East is in the news, you know, today as, as we're having this conversation, but I'd say probably that experience did more to sort of soften, soften some edges on me. And, and, you know, it, it, it forced me to, or to put me in a situation where, you know, in order to be effective in dealing with people, I had to take the time to understand their culture, right. And what was important to them. So very, very good experience. Um, and then. Uh, I transitioned out of that uh, a school and then and I finished an assignment as, as a company commander. So nine years active duty. Um, and I figured, you know, I had to reflect then you get to a point where you have to make a decision. Where do I go from here? Right. Do I accept the next promotion and obligate myself to an another another three years? That's an obligation you sign up for. It. Or um, do you maybe choose another path? So for me. I felt like in those nine years, I had accomplished the things that I wanted to accomplish, right? I, when I first had thoughts of what I thought it meant to be a Marine, that was sort of what I envisioned, being in the field, being in the thick, right? And, and so I did that. Um, after nine years, it's, it's going to be a little bit more staff focused. And 
it, you know, I, I, I realized that with the sacrifices that I made personally, you know, my wife had to make similar sacrifices with me being gone, moving every couple, three years, things like that. So I figured now was a good time to transition. And it was one of those, I feel like I'm transitioning at the top of my game, right? Now's the time to step away uh, while I'm enjoying it. And I was, I was enjoying it. So that was a good time to step away. I miss it every day, but I miss what I did, right? Not what I would have done after nine years, right? So I felt like it was the right time to go. So now I'm faced with, what do I do, right? I have to get a job. I have to support a family. I have a liberal arts degree. Um, and I have no real hard skill that I bring to the table. I'm not an accountant, right? I'm not an engineer, you know? So what, so what I sold was leadership, right? And, and the leadership experience that I gained in the Marine Corps is th those, those lessons I still use today. And I think to many people, you know, I, I, I think it's a, a stereotype that's probably exacerbated by movies and, you know, media. In the military, there's a, a, an initial indoctrination period where it's, I say you do without question. And if you don't follow that, there are, there are consequences. That's early on. That's part of the indoctrination, you know, reshaping the human being, all right, in, into something that's, you know, um, in the right mindset for being part of the military. But then everything beyond that is, is really about buy-in and inspirational leadership and situational leadership. And, and, you know, you can order people to do things. And of course they will do it. I would rather people want to do things. So that's the approach I take. Right. And, and, and again, I think there's probably stereotypes about military that that's not the way the military operates. It's super rigid. There's no flexibility. If, if, if I give you an order, you're expected to follow that order. No questions asked. That is absolutely not the case. I mean, that's kind of the nuclear option in the military where you get to the point where you're like, I don't care, you're doing it, right? But that's not what motivates people. So I learned that and, and I carried that with me. Um, so anyway, so what am I selling? I'm selling leadership. I got myself a job um, that, that took me back to Philadelphia, which is, you know, that that's I'm from Southeastern Pennsylvania. Um, and I was in operations leadership production supervisor um running a plant on second shift and then a materials manager and then it transitioned into a uh a, um, a sort of a customer facing role right so i got some commercial experience i had customers that i was responsible for managing along with a team of service reps and then it eventually um got me a, a promotion that moved me from philadelphia up to syracuse new york where i promised my wife we'd be there for no more than three years um, I think you know this story. It was uh, 12 years before we were able to get out of Syracuse. <laughs> Excuse me, but but a lot of great things happened in Syracuse. Three of, all three of my kids were born there. Um, I went through a huge transformation in in my personal and professional life because the role that I had taken out of the military. I'm now five five years deep into this with a lot of success and promotion, but the sacrifices were were more than um than than i was willing to put on my family right and at the time looking to start a family with my, my wife but it was also like five years of reflection like you know i was successful in those five years why was i successful not because i was a smart business person right um not because i love spreadsheets and 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 that it, it was people it was building teams it was um helping people develop seeing people get promoted 
And I realized that that's why I was successful. It had nothing to do with how smart I was. It was I felt like I did a decent job building smart teams, people who are smarter than me. So as I, as I looked at, you know, where I saw my career growing and where I felt like I added the most value, um, I, I didn't want to run the business. What I wanted to do was be a business partner to the person who runs the business, be their counsel, be their coach, be their mentor, but also be the person that helps make sure that we're, um, you know, staying focused on the people part of the business as well, because they have to always be part of the decision. So without um, any human resources experience, I, I, I made a change. I decided five years of doing business operations and business leadership, I was going to branch in a different direction. So I became a recruiter, right? Um, and, and the story I tell is the first professional that I ever, re ever placed as a recruiter was me. Because <laughs> if you looked at my resume, you wouldn't hire me as a recruiter because I don't have any of that experience. But I, I, I sold myself, right? As having the, you know, having abilities that would make somebody successful as a recruiter. Right? I had commercial experience. I had people experience. I understood manufacturing. So I, there are a lot of things I brought. I was hired by them, and, and I and I worked for this small company in Syracuse for um, about two years uh, as a recruiter, and I did really well. So well, in fact, that one of my clients wanted to hire me on as as a recruiter for them, which I ended up taking. That I, I kind of missed that bigger environment. So I went in that. So that was the beginning of my HR career. I got hired. Um, as 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 a recruiter, where I did that for eight months before being offered an opportunity to be an HR generalist, which now puts you into that sort of HR track. Um, from there, it was HR generalist to plant HR manager to multi-site HR manager to then getting a promotion, which brought me then down to to the Charlotte, North Carolina area where you and I met, um, to to be uh, the HR leader for a different business within Eaton, and now here I am as as the HR director. So, um, if I look back. On that was what 2005. I made that decision. Um, I am glad I made that decision. It was I am exactly where I feel like I'm supposed to be, right? Um, and and I think the role that I'm that I'm in aligns to the strengths, right? I don't want to run the business, but I absolutely want to be a part of the success of the business. And I feel like I can best do that in the role that I'm in now where I'm serving people versus, um, you know, trying to run the business. So um, that was quite a few minutes of, of how I got to where I am today. But, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm exactly where I want to be. Right. And, you know, and even looking at my peers who maybe started their journey sooner. Sure. Right. I'm in a different age demographic, but it doesn't matter. Like I'm doing what I feel like I should be doing and I'm enjoying doing it. And I, and I think, if, if, if when somebody says, do you, you enjoy what you do? My, my initial thought is ask my wife because she feels, she felt the, the, the side effects of me not enjoying what I was doing. Right. So she sees a difference and, and, um, and, but I, but I, that's because the, the difference is real. I'm doing what I'm, I want to do. I didn't get there instantly. I didn't know I had to find my way, you know, through a couple of different roles until I, I finally figured it out. Like, Hey, I feel like this is where I can add value and this is where I'm going to get the most enjoyment. So here I am. That's fantastic. I appreciate you taking the time to share all of that. And I love how the first person you ever placed was yourself. You sold yourself. You created the opportunity for yourself. Knowing you, that's clearly not a surprise whatsoever. Um, but I also love how that illustrates and hopefully people are catching on 
I just had somebody ask me this week with my investigative background, it's pretty common for me to be facilitating a program and have somebody come up to me and say, my daughter's about to graduate college. My son's starting a career. They're interested in fraud, investigations, audit, whatever. What should they do to prepare themselves or where should they start for that career track? And my background is not the same as yours, but it, yep. it is a winding road. None of it was intentional. It all sort of just led to where I am and what I love to do. So I try to figure out how to give them ideas, but also share that same message. So like, when I look at you and think, well, yeah, I mean, if somebody wants to be in HR, well, first they should be a division one wrestler. Then they should go to the Marine Corps for nine years. Then they should start in operations. And by that time, they're probably ready for human resources. Like it, that's the- It makes perfect sense. It, that story writes itself, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's exactly when you go to see your advisor in college and say, I want to be in HR, that's what they tell you to do. Yeah. Um, so there's so much I want to get into there. And with the Marine Corps, obviously, you know that I did not serve. So I want to be respectful with how I ask questions about it. Um, when you think about your time leading other Marines, the adaptability, the motivation, not just the do what I say because I am the officer. If, if you had to reflect on that time just for a moment, what would you say are perhaps the one or two lessons from your time leading Marines that help you to be such a successful leader in your current environment? Yeah. So, wow. Good question. So um, when I, when I think about, uh, I think about my first transition, right? Coming out of a year of school, I'm, I'm a brand new officer with a year of really good training, right? So um, I'm book learned, right? And I've applied what I've learned in the field in training, right? With other officers who are going through similar training, getting excellent instruction. But then you go out to the fleet and now you're put in charge of, as an infantry officer in charge of about 43 people of varying levels of experience. Some of them are, you know, privates. Others are, you know, you know, first sergeants, right? And and so varying years of experience. Um, I've got a lot of back, I've got a lot of uh, education, not a lot of experience. So I look at it as my, my, um, my knowledge based on my formal learning is about a mile wide, but my practical knowledge is about an inch deep, right? Whereas the, those I'm leading, they're, they're, you know, um, formal learning might be an inch wide but their experience is a mile deep, right? And I feel like, so that's a T. I always see it as like a T, right? And I and to me, it's in that intersection where the magic happens, right? Like you have to let go a little bit. And, and this is, and, and I'll, I'll give you a specific example of what I mean by that and, and how letting go is sometimes the quickest way to advance. Um, you have to trust, give good guidance, trust, your, your people be very clear in what the goal is so that in the absence of any other direction, right? Loss of communication, believe it or not, you know, radios don't work at all times, right? And when you're out there, so you have to rely on people to, to be able to make decisions in the absence of your direct guidance, right? And, and you do that by giving them the tools that they need to do. So, um, an example uh, where that played out, I was doing a joint operation um, as one of the last things I did before I got out of the Marine Corps. 
I got back from a seven month deployment and, and I was asked if I would be willing to volunteer, which in the military means um, you've been volunteered um, to leave for another third. So I was home for two weeks and I told my wife, like, I'm going to be gone for another month. Um, I know I just got back, but I've got uh, something that I need to take care of. Um, and so I'm going to fly across the country. So I did, um, I, I took part in this joint operation. I was working with a, with an army unit and we operate differently, right? Army and Marine Corps, we have different missions. So we operate differently. We're very, very um, decentralized in, in how we do things. So um, our, 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 our trust in our subordinate leaders, our sergeants, our squad leaders is, is paramount in us being able to accomplish any mission. So, so anyway, um, doing this operation, uh, we had some direct observation from some army officers who wanted to see how we operated. And they were pretty much floored at how aligned our smaller unit leaders were in the execution of their duties and the lateral communication that took place. It didn't involve me. They didn't need me to accomplish the mission because I was clear in the guidance. We had been trained to do this. And they knew at this point, having worked with me now for two years, like they knew, like, I trust you. So that's never changed, right? That, that, those lessons don't change. And, and, and when I talked about, you know, how does that translate into what, what helped me be successful? Again, it goes back to people, right? Giving people clear guidance um, and then giving them the tools to be successful, you'd be surprised. By letting go though, you have to trust their process, right? Not everybody operates the same way. And this is something that I see in leaders. You know, I support leaders as an HR business partner. I, I support leaders and I give them guidance and coaching. And that's one of the toughest things, right? They've been successful because of the way they've done things, right? And they've been successful. But that's not the only pathway to success. There are other methods to get there, right? So everybody's process is a little bit different. And people tend to align themselves with those who operate the way they do because it's familiar and easy. I would challenge anybody, build a team of people who don't operate the way you do. And, and we, we use, um, um, we use a, a, you know, a Carl Young based sort of, you know, evaluator to see how different people uh, lead and communicate. And to me, when I build my team, I want to have that diversity of different means of communication. So letting go is tough, right? We, we have an idea of what we want to of how things should get done, but when we're asking other people to do it, we have to be comfortable that they may have a different approach. I learned that in the military, right? I, ha I had no choice but to let go when there are, you know, kilometers between you and the person um, on your team who's executing the mission, there is no way that you can influence what's happening in front of them because you're not there. So you, you, have to, you have to be comfortable that if you've given them the right guidance, you've given them the right training, they're going to they're gonna accomplish the mission. That doesn't change in the civilian world, right? If you want to build a high-functioning team, build a team, build a diverse team of people who are going to bring different perspectives, right? We all have goals and, and we all have the same goal, but how we get there could be different. And, and again, I think that's probably where I see leaders struggle is letting go of their own perception of how things should be and allow somebody to develop and, and come to, you know, meet the, meet the goal, come to the conclusion, whatever it is in their own way, because then there's ownership and buy-in, right? So hopefully that answered your question, but that, I would say that's probably the, the, what I had to learn. The thing I took away was being able to let go and delegate and, and be comfortable with that. Cause it is very uncomfortable to see something, see somebody approach a task differently than you. 
it's also uncomfortable to see somebody approach a task knowing that this path they're going down may not get them the results they're looking for. But there's look, there's a time to intervene, right? Um, and you have to recognize that. But there's also a time to let that play out, and not in an "I told you so," but as a "Hey, if you had to do it differently, you know, based on the results that you got, let's walk that back. What 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 could you have done differently? Right? And and I might know the answer." But if they come to the conclusion on their own, then it's it's a lesson learned. If I'm just telling them, you know, are they really learning the lesson? I don't, I don't think so. They might, but I wouldn't bank on it. That was a fantastic answer. And there were so many good points in there. <laughs> and for me, and we'll get to this later, it's like puzzle pieces falling together because I have experienced that exact coaching, communication, leadership method from you. And we'll talk about that coming up. But to hear you know, where you developed it from, how you how it came to be, the way you applied it in your military career and in your business career as well. For me, it's like worlds colliding. Now it all makes yeah. sense. But there's so many from the intersection, the T for experience and education, a great one. The diversity of thought and perspective, a great point. Being able to let go. That concept of lateral communication and trusting your subordinates. That so many great lessons for leaders there. That was a fantastic response. Thank you. Um, one more quick question about the Marine Corps, and then we'll move on, because I have no doubt we could spend a couple hours talking about that experience alone with you. Um, but you have talked a little bit about the experience that you had providing security at embassies and the some of the diplomatic relations that you had to navigate, official diplomatic relations, but also unofficial diplomatic relations as you and Renee had to learn how to live in some of these places and go out on the town and yeah. interface with the people who live there. And as you said, some of these were some of these locations were in the Middle East in places that were very culturally different from where we come from. So similar to the question about the Marine Corps prior, as you reflect on your specific experience working in the embassies, what were some of the biggest lessons you learned from oper operating in that more diplomatic environment that still serve you so well today? Um, so <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is I had to uh, change my language, um, meaning to tone it down, right? Mm -hmm. the, you know, it, you're in a diplomatic environment, you know, maybe some of the words or phrases, um, you know, not beating around the bush, curse words, right? It, there's not, I wouldn't call it a culture, but the language is, is a little bit more um, liberal, I guess, mm -hmm. in that military environment. In a diplomatic environment, you, you have to really, you know, you, you have to recognize what you represent, right? Um, a number of those people have been in the foreign service for a number of years. Not everybody who works in the embassy is a, you know, they're a lot, they're not all U.S. citizens. A lot of third country nationals provide administrative support, but you have to recognize what you represent, right? And, and you're representing an idea, right? And, and, and an impression that people have of what a U.S. Marine is, because for many of them, their only experience with anybody in the U.S. military is at the embassy. And it's a, you know, it's a handful of Marines who have the responsibility of, of guarding them and, and, and the embassy. Um, you're not a diplomat, but you're on a bit of a mission, right? So when I would travel around and do these inspections, it, we would we would do everything from all the administrative things that Marines were required to maintain, their physical fitness levels, make sure the record books, make sure their training is up to date, all those things. But then there was also the operational side and that's making sure that their operations plans for, for embassy security, they had a number of different plans 
that they're responsible for um, were um, current, right? Um, actionable, right? They, you know, not just look good on paper, but could actually be action. And we would test that um, during, during our inspections. We would do an unannounced uh, visit and trigger off some sort of um, scenario that they would have to respond to and all that. Um, so that was very sort of inward focused on what, what we, what our mission was as a Marine Corps. But then I would have to turn around and, and every time I left one of those embassies, I have a meeting with either uh, the, the ambassador or, you know, one of his delegates to, to give them a debrief on, um, how the inspection went, what were some of the areas of opportunity. And, and that was a, a matter of, you know, there was no intent to deceive, but there were certain things that we said, Hey, these are sort of Marine Corps things. And, and, we're going to handle these internally. There are other things that, uh, you know, are, are more relevant to the diplomatic community and the security of, of, of the embassy. And that's what we'll share um, with the ambassador. But at the same time, you, you start to, you know, so that was good. Like we kept, you know, we sort of, we, we gave them the information that they needed to know to, to understand the security level of their MC and, and every MC had a regional security officer. So we, we worked very closely with them. The Marine Corps stuff, we sort of kept within, within the Marine Corps. Um, I'm trying to, you know, I, I, I don't get, I never got involved in, you know, diplomatic affairs. Of course, as a person in the military, that makes sense. Or that there has to be that sort that, that, uh, that separation, but I did, learn how to um, manage at a more executive type level, right? Where, you know, you are the only person who's able to represent the group that you're responsible for. And, and you get very small windows of opportunity to do that. It's a very sort of fast paced meetings. You have 10 minutes, right? Get in, get out. Um, so, so I learned how to navigate those conversations. I think today we would call that managing up. I, you know, I, that's, that's what I would call it, but I learned how to manage those conversations, um, in a productive way. So it wasn't just a report out, but it could be a, a dialogue, give the information that was necessary, um, you know, make sure that I was representing my team the best I could. And, and but I tried to take advantage of those short windows of opportunity um, to either tell my story, make my point, whatever it was. And it couldn't be a long drawn out thing. So I don't know that I was a good answer to, to, to your question. Um, I'm, I'm thinking back on those years. Um, I feel like I've. I feel like I'm, I'm organizationally savvy in terms of how I manage my interactions with with others. And I would say that was probably the first place where I recognized that I needed to do that. I probably have gotten much better at it over time, but that was, I was forced into an uncomfortable situation. Um, and uh, I felt like I, I, I came out of that, not, not a changed person, but just I, I gained a few more skills, right? Like, okay, now I know how to, you know, when I'm walking into this person's office, um, I have to recognize quickly what's important to them what needs to be communicated and don't encroach on their time, like get in and get out. Cause the minute, the second I start encroaching on their time, they're done listening. Right. So recognizing that. And I, I'd say that's, there's some, I don't know, call it politically savvy, organizationally savvy. I think that's, a, those are important skills to learn. I would agree. And I think that if we, oddly enough, 
combine the highlights of your previous two answers, that's the perfect background to be successful in human resources. Maybe I'll, 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 I'll let you. you know someday <laughs> how it goes. But you take the lessons from the first one, experience and education and lateral communication and trusting your subordinates and providing clear guidance, but not specific directions and the right amount of feedback at the right time for the right person to help them be successful. Now we start talking about being able to read the room and change our language and understand yeah. how somebody else needs to be communicated with. And we, before we started recording, you talked about the importance of adaptability, being able to adapt from situation to situation. Really what I'm hearing are perfect examples and lessons of what it takes to be successful in HR, where you have to manage up, down, and sideways. You have to influence all kinds of people to say and do things that they probably don't want to because they don't immediately satisfy their interests. Right. Understand the risks and different impacts they're having on the organization. You were doing all of that in the Marine Corps of all places yep. before you ever got into your HR career. And for exactly. me, selfishly, I'm so glad that those were the answers you provided because few things grind my gears more than I hear somebody say, well, they're not qualified for this role because they don't have HR experience or they don't have manufacturing experience. Stop. <laughs> Do they have the core skills and attributes developed somewhere else that can make them successful in this role? And those answers were perfect, man. Yeah. Thank you. And I'll tell you, if I could, like, I see that play out often, right? And, and you know, the, the role I'm in now is um, it's a unique business within my, my company. Um, my company is mostly manufacturing. I'm not, we're a field-based organization. So, um, we're a bit of an unknown to, to the other parts of the business and other parts of the business are somewhat unknown. And, uh, stepping into this role over six years ago, there was a lot of, well, this person's never been in this business. So we're going to pass because they don't have this. We've changed that paradigm. You know, if I'm putting somebody into a leadership role, I'm interested in their ability to lead. Right. And, and there is no doubt that if they can be a good leader, they'll build a team. They don't, I don't want our doc manager to be, I'm, I'm throwing terms at our district manager to be promoted into that role because they were the best engineer. Right. They, they probably were the best engineer and that's fantastic. That doesn't translate to being the best leader. Now, that doesn't mean they can't be the best leader, but we have to remember they were, trained to be an engineer. We have to train people to be leaders too, right? And and um, we once we get somebody into that realm of leadership and they've proven that they can be a good leader, I would bet you that you can put them in almost any situation and they will figure it out. I don't need them to be the best engineer. If they're doing the engineering, then Who's leading, right? I, I want to. So I, I, we've we've had some. I, I would say we've had a bit of a paradigm shift in in the business that I'm in now for that reason, because I did it. Like I, I had no business being hired as an HR person, but I did it, right? And and it, thankfully somebody saw potential, right? And they took a chance on the potential. So I would say if if somebody has a track record of success, um, on a technical track. And you're thinking of promoting them into a leadership role, have a conversation, make sure that that's what they want, right? And then if it is what they want, make sure that you're setting them up to be successful. They've been trained to be an engineer. They showed you that with the right training, they could be successful. They go into a leadership role and they might not have the same success. So we immediately, 
go, our default is, oh, we made the wrong decision. It, we might have, right? If that person wasn't honest with us in their desire to be a leader, they were just telling us what they thought we wanted to hear. But if they were truly honest and wanted to be a leader of people, then that desire doesn't go away. We just need to train that now. We need to teach them, give them guidance, give them support and coaching to get there. And I think that that's where um, we sometimes fall short in that. But, you know, I, I feel like I've been given those opportunities. So it's I have to pay it forward, right, to other people. We have been hugely successful in, in our business. Um, and we've continued to grow year over year. And we have a bunch of people running this business who have no prior experience in our business. And here we are. So, so um, you know, I, that, that's, I learned that lesson firsthand because somebody took a chance on me. And I'm going to continue to take chances on people who I feel like can, can contribute as leaders. Amen. I'm thrilled to hear it. I'm biased, I think, the same way. And there have been legions of people who have taken chances on me and given me opportunities as well that, that have allowed me to get to where I am. And most people know that my background at one point was in uh, loss prevention. And when I was put forward as a candidate for my first manager position, I was the only one of the five candidates that didn't have managerial experience. One of the candidates had worked at this specific facility before. And when I was done with my interview, my district manager at the time came out and said, I have no idea what you said, but you managed to get hired for the job, cancel the rest of our meetings. We're going to the casino. And I enjoyed the rest of the day hanging out with them. Yeah. Uh, but it's that same type of thing, like recognizing somebody's potential versus falling into that check the box mentality. Yeah. Which I think sets up for a great question. And well, of course, I'm going to ask it. Why wouldn't I think it's a great question? So you can tell me. Um, but considering the diversity of your life experience, your leadership experience, all the different people you've interacted with in different situations, with that as the backdrop, from an interviewing standpoint, a candidate interviewing standpoint, a strategic planning standpoint, a um, still I just lost the word again. It happens to me all the time. Succession planning. There it is. Success, succession planning standpoint. That was two words that I lost. It can be very easy for people to fall into that sort of rank and file, next man or woman up. This is what we're looking for. So how I, I guess I'll ask two questions. One first. How do you work to keep yourself? One second. Sorry. Go ahead. You're good. Sorry about that. No, all good, man. How do you work to keep yourself open to listening and identifying new surprising potential or alternatives with the people you interview? Wow. So um uh when we so for the positions that I am involved in the interviews for tend to be our sort of top tier leadership positions which within my division, right? So these are experienced people who are already, um, they have leadership experience, direct leadership experience of a team, um, and, and they're looking to, to continue to, to grow their career. So um, ask me the question again, because I was, I was going down a path, and, and like you, I'm human, so I, I, I distracted myself. So ask me the question again, and I'll get to your answer. And I'll try to be more succinct, and maybe that will help. No, it was a good question. I just, I lost my train of thought for a second. How do you keep an open mind during your interviews to allow yep. yourself to be surprised or pinpoint potential or opportunities that might not be obvious? Yeah, so uh, uh, great question. Um, we 
oftentimes the people that we we interview for these roles are are known to us because they're in prior leadership roles. Not always the case though, right? We have people who come in from the outside. And I find it an interesting dynamic when we talk about internal and external candidates, right? We have, we're able to easily highlight all of the reasons why a person who we know may or may not be a good fit for a role, we're able to easily identify um, why we think they might be a good fit for a role. We're able to look at their um, work history right? And we're able to see their the history of their evaluations, right? We, so we have all of this data to internal candidates that we don't have for external candidates. And we, we scrutinize our internal candidates so much based on known information, but are willing to take a chance on somebody who, you know, based on a resume and, you know, a couple hours of interviews, who are not a known quantity, we're not we don't have the opportunity to see their evaluations and we don't have the opportunity and we tend to give them a pass. Right. And I find that interesting, right? Because I would say anybody who we, who we interview externally probably has some of the same, if you're able to peel back the layers and look, you know, look a little bit deeper, they have all the same stuff, right? They've had some average performance ratings. They've had some good ones. They've gotten some great feedback. They've, they've gotten some recognition in other areas. They still need to develop. Right. And they still need work. So we, we, we tend to be harder on our internal candidates than we are on external candidates. And, and for me, that's that when you're trying to manage a team of people who are interviewing, that's that's quite challenging to try to overcome these these biases that we have um, and and think forward to. They're here for a reason interviewing. They're not perfect. Right. We have. um exclusive access to their background that we don't have with external candidates. We've all had backgrounds like that. And if we think back on our own careers, could any one thing that we have done in our career been a derailer for us as part of this process? And we would all hope that no, it wasn't right. Because we've found ways to overcome that. And, and I call that rewinding old tape. Like, well, I worked with this guy six years ago. Stop. Who were you six years ago? And how have you evolved and how have you changed? Right. And would you want maybe a misstep or a learning moment six years ago to be the defining moment of your career? Right. That was contributing to your ongoing progression and growth, or you just stalled yourself because of this one thing. No, none of us, we've all, I don't care how successful you are, you've been given an opportunity. Right. And maybe somebody took a, a chance on you when everybody else in the room said, that's a mistake, right? So I try to play that role among my team to be aware of the biases because I'm, I'm not going to be able to eliminate them, right? I can, I can say all the right things, put them in front of a, the, the right PowerPoint presentation, and I can talk about bias. But it's more important to recognize that bias exists and call it out when you see it, right? And, and that way we have good open conversations and we can get to the core of why how, can we envision this person being successful in this role, right? And that's where we have to go. So, so um, it's it is it is tough um, to to park your own biases sometime, and especially previous experience with somebody creates really really strong connections, right? And, and a strong bias. So you have to sort of overcome that and look at what does the person bring to the table. If you take the name off the resume. Um, and you don't put the face with the name, 
and you just say, okay, based on this person's experience, do you think that they can make a positive contribution in this role? Right. And I'm not looking for perfection. I'm looking for the potential. And it's hard to do. We, we like to have people who are plug and play, right? I can put this person in here today and that'll take a certain amount of pain away from me because I'm the one dealing with this stuff right now. I don't have time to deal with it. So let me just put Howie in this role because Howie's been really good at that. But if that role is a pathway role to something bigger, I just created a probably a, a blocker now because I, I'm because I solved a short term problem, but I didn't I didn't create a long term solution, right? Because you know what what now I have a person who took it off the plate, but is it making us better as an organization? I don't know. Would I rather take a chance and put somebody on there who might need a little bit more coaching and guidance, which does add a little bit of pain? But I'll tell you that short term pain because. Once that person is up and running, they're going to take more off your plate than you ever imagined. But we don't, we, we're so sort of short focused on the immediate need of, I've got pain. I need somebody to take that pain away. So they tap out to use a term and they just put the, they go with the easy solution, but maybe not the best solution. And that's a hard thing to manage, right? Especially when I'm dealing with managers, I can see the stress of them sort of wearing two hats and I am empathetic to it, but I remind them that I have you know, a, a, a larger obligation to make sure that we're putting the right people in the right roles for the long-term success of the business. I acknowledge your pain and it will be there, right? It won't go away immediately, but in the long-term, you'll be better off. So that's kind of the role I play. Man, that's a fantastic answer. I hope anybody involved in any hiring process at least bookmarks that part of the conversation and shares it with the people that they are involved with because I feel like what you just described is universal across organizations and industries. It yep. I see it all the time. And the way you described it from an inside perspective is perfect. So now really what I want to do is start working with you to coordinate our travel. So when <laughs> I teach candidate engagements, I can bring you in to share that. So it's coming from you instead of me during the process, but I'd be happy to <laughs> absolutely spot on. Um, I want to jump on to one thing you said there at the end, when other people have that stress and that frustration and they want the short-term answer, they want what they perceive to be the plug and play, which probably isn't the plug and play they believe it to be. And they're setting expectations that won't be fulfilled, which is another conversation yep. for today. Um, what techniques or approaches have you been successful with to help other people in the hiring process reframe their perspective and get them to open their mind to these potential possibilities that you're seeing. So, so you have to understand what their ultimate goal is. I acknowledge, I think it's important that you acknowledge, don't dismiss what they're feeling, right? Because they are probably doing two jobs right now. So I, I want to understand, you know, how they envision this role. And it's more than just, I can put this person in here today and they can take some stuff off my plate. It's, it's, if you ask them what their, their aspirational goals are for their team and their role, I guarantee it's not about, I just need somebody to take the pain away from me. No, they'll, they'll tell you a story of what they're looking for and how they see the organization growing and what type of person um, is going to be, um, what types of skills, what type of person is going to be key in that growth not the person that they want to put in the role, right? They're, they're taking the pain away. So acknowledging that the that what they feel is real is important. You can't dismiss it. We've all been there. We've all done it. Um, and even saying that doesn't help them feel better. That's just my experience. Like, yeah, I've been there. I've done that. I've worn two hats. Suck it up. 
I did, but again, it's not their experience. They don't care about my experience. They care. They care about what's in front of them right now and taking it away. So I, I, I want to make sure that they keep their eyes on what the longer term goal is. Um, how I would manage that conversation is yes, absolutely. This person can bring immediate value, right? And they can solve some immediate problems that you have. But in the long term, are they the right person who's going to help you achieve your more strategic goals? They're known as a doer and they get things done and we value that. But are they part of the larger leadership plan in, in driving growth in the organization? Do they have that skill set? And if the answer is no, I, don't, I would never allow them to be a leader of people. They're great at managing projects. They're good at dealing with customers, but I wouldn't. Okay. So in terms of succession planning, this person then would not be able to backfill you. No. Okay. Long-term, that impacts maybe your ability to get promoted because you don't have everybody. So let's think long-term. This person, if you look at our job description and what we require, they have a lot of it. They don't have all of it. They have a lot of it. They might be a little bit less experienced in the doing, right? But there is a potential that exists with that person that doesn't necessarily exist with the person who solved your immediate problem, right? And, and in order to do what's right by the organization, right, we need to be able to put people into roles that are pathway roles to um, other things, right? And that's helping with career growth. Those are tough conversations. Um, they get it, right? They understand it. That's what they want. Find other ways to help relieve pain. Is there anything else we can do in the short term that you think could take some of this off your plate? Because at the end of the day, I don't want that on their plate because they're so inwardly focused now that they're not able to, you know, do what what our boss needs them to do, right? Because they're they're focusing on other things. So I don't want them to be in that situation for long term, but it becomes a revolving door of let me get this person in there a couple, you know, a year or two and we move on and we do it again and again and again. It's, you know, rinse and repeat and it doesn't make us better as, as an organization. So I feel like we need to, you know, that conversation to me is more about what's the long-term plan here. What's our long-term plan, right? The short-term pain, get it. I can't take that away. I, I will do what I can to help mitigate it. But I, what I can do is help us be a better organization in the long term. We just have to be able to will, be willing to take a chance on somebody who's got longer term potential, but might need a little bit more attention now versus, um, you know, putting somebody in who takes an immediate pain away, but it's not going to help the organization in the long term. So. Oh, that's a great answer. Thank you. And that's, and by the way, that is one of those scenarios where as the HR business leader for the organization, I could easily step in and say, no. You're not hiring that person, but I don't want to do that, right? Because that doesn't it doesn't address the, the the need, right? So, I I could do that, but why would why should I do that? I would rather that person say you're right, and then come up with an alternate plan to address maybe some of those immediate needs, so that he can make the right long term play or she can make the right long term play. So I have the, a lot of those conversations. Um, that's not a surprise to hear. And you're right. You could say, no, you can't do that. And the only reasons, and these are all wrong, of course, to do that generally would be impatience, the need for control, right? So th they'd all be self-serving ego related yeah. for you. And none of that 
would help build the problem-solving skills, the situational awareness, or the leadership development in the hiring manager or anyone else who works for that hiring manager based on the decisions they're now being forced to comply with. Yeah, I, I rarely try to tell anybody what to do, even when I know the answer, right? Um, because I feel like, you know, if I know the answer, there's a reason why, well, if I think I know the answer, um, there's a reason why I, I, I went through a process to sort of get there. And I, if I feel like it's a good answer or a good solution, I want to bring that other person along. What I oftentimes find when I, when I do that process, it becomes interactive, right? And what, where I'm bringing them to may not be where we end. We probably end in a better place because I'm like, you know, it's a lot of questioning. Like what, you know, here is what I've seen. How do you see that? And, and is that an issue? And if you think it's an issue, how would you approach it? Or, you know, and, and I'm maybe sort of putting them in a bit of a funnel and sort of bringing them into where I'm going. But along the way, I might have some revelation like, oh, they just brought up something I hadn't thought about. But at that point, like, because it's been an interactive conversation, it is not a, an attack on my ego, right? They, they didn't know that they changed my mind on anything because I didn't tell them what I thought. I just told them that, you know, I, I, I have an idea of what I'm thinking and I want to bring them along, but they don't know exactly where the endpoint is. So if we end up in a different endpoint because they changed my mind, that's not an attack on my ego. Right. That's like, hey, we came. I think we came to the right conclusion together. There's buy in on it. So um, it takes time. And and I think where we probably where. We don't give that enough time to to mature those conversations because we don't have time. Time is like the, the one resource that nobody ever has. Right. We're always on somebody else's schedule. Um, but to do those things, it does take a little bit longer. But uh, but again, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big believer. Time spent now is time saved later. Amen. You got to invest, invest time at the same time. Yeah. The easiest thing I can do is say, Mike, here's what we're, we're changing this whole process today. Here's what the new process looks like. Here you go. Here's the documentation. Make it happen. You may or may not. You will, right? If I say to do it, but you know, I'd rather bring you into, hey, we have some opportunity, right? And then start down a, a path of gaining an understanding that we agree that there is opportunity. And then we, we, uh, come to an alignment on what that path forward looks like. I, it takes longer to get there, but I ultimately believe that in the long run, it will save you time. I think even in the mid run, it's going to save you time. Yeah, I, I agree entirely. So I've been trying not to go down too many rabbit holes and ask too many follow-up questions because you've had so much, so many great ideas layered into so many of your answers. Because I wanted to save a few minutes at the end here to talk about how we got to know each other and yep. how a lot of what we're talking about is learned and applies there and th the other lessons that, that go on from this. So we didn't talk a lot about your athletic background, which I understand you're a humble guy. You probably didn't want to bring it up, but you are a division one college wrestler. And you are a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. And unfortunately, that also means you're one of my professors, instructors. So I met you on the jiu-jitsu mat. And yeah. you probably more than anybody else have spent time strangling me and stretching my joints in the opposite direction. So if anybody listening to this has ever thought to themselves, I really wish somebody would choke Mike to the brink of consciousness, make no mistake, how he has done it more times than I can count.
And I want people to know, by the way, Mike, that um, we have a unique relationship. We give each other 100% um, uh, authority to go hard with each other, right? And and I appreciate it that there are a couple of folks that I feel comfortable, like just going full on, like we're just going at it. You're one of them. So I appreciate it because there's a lot of learning that takes place with that. There is. And I'm honestly grateful for that as you as well, because although I typically am on the nail end of the hammer and nail relationship in those, I am learning a lot. There's obviously some respect that's conveyed there. And it's nice to be able to have that freedom to do that with you without having the fear of repercussions. Because there obviously- I think the word I was, I think the word, I'm sorry for interrupting. I think the word yeah. I was looking for was permission. Yes. We've given each other permission to yes. um, beat on each other pretty well. People outside of this world don't get what we're talking about right now, but it's fun. So yeah, go ahead. Let's let's talk a little bit about that. We we beat the hell out of each other. That's yeah. that's a fact. Um, it's it's funny. So I will sometimes come home from like an open mat or a night where we stay and roll a little extra, and my face will be all marked up. And literally, Brooke will look at me and say, "You and Howie, yeah." <laughs> like those are the best times. Those they are, are the best times. They really are. So. Yeah. I'm eventually going to have a conversation on this podcast with my wife. She's also a chief human resources officer. And the three of us have had many business related conversations as well. But I would not have gone back to jujitsu without my wife basically forcing me to do it. And as a result, we wouldn't have our relationship and so on. But with a couple of minutes that we have left, I would love for you to share your thoughts on the leadership lessons and the communication lessons that we all derive from that jujitsu training experience together. Yeah, boy. Um, it's hard to talk, you know, in a couple of minutes, talk about something that has transformed your life. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, so I'm, I'm from Pennsylvania and, and, you know, Pennsylvania, if, if you know anything about wrestling is, is produces really high level wrestlers. Right. Um, like I was interested at, at an early age, but through a series of just, you know, life things going on, um, I, I didn't really get a chance to, to start wrestling until about sixth grade, right? Um, where I, you know, when I went to Milton Hershey School, that could be a whole nother topic, but put it out there, mhs.org, if you were interested and you want to learn about this phenomenal school in Pennsylvania. Um, but it, I got involved in wrestling and it was not easy at all. I was getting my butt beat daily, um, but it was something I just felt like, I, I, every day I just wanted to come back and I didn't, I, I had moments where I was like, Oh my goodness. I like, I'm horrible at this. I'm getting beat. Like I cried as like a sixth or seventh grader. You're like, Oh my goodness. Like this is, you know, this is hard. Um, but I stuck with it and eventually I got better. at it. So I would say that I was, um, a good enough high school wrestler to be, to, to wrestle on an average division one wrestling team and be an average division one wrestler. And, I would say an average division one wrestler puts you up there pretty high on, you know, in terms of wrestling. And, so, and, and I was always passionate about it. I, I didn't have people who sort of pushed me in that direction to make me do it, but I was passionate about it. And, you know, the, the, I would say the one moment in college where early on I was trying to balance college now and, and wrestling, and it was just really, really hard. I stepped away from wrestling. I, and I don't think I ever told you this, but I quit. Um, quitting is not my thing. It lasted about months. I realized that wrestling wasn't the problem. It was my 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 discipline and managing my time, and I realized that not wrestling gave me more time to waste versus more time to like stay focused. So I went back into the to the wrestling coach. I said I made a mistake. Will you have me back? Didn't make it easy on me, um, but uh, I, I appreciated that he allowed me the opportunity, and and I let it all four years. Right. Um, fast forward, 
you know, you never sort of lose that connection. It's always been a passion of mine, a little bit of combatives in the military, a little bit of coaching post-military. Um, but uh, I, I even lost a little bit of passion for coaching when, when I was coaching at the high school level, a lot of politics dealing with parents. And I'm trying to, you know, teach these kids, not just wrestling, but some life lessons. And it was, it's just not, it, I, it wasn't the right time for me. Right. So I stepped away. Um, at the, at the age of 42 with my, uh, with, with two very young kids still in diapers and, and, and a third one on the way, I thought, what better time to start a new hobby um, than, than Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? So I went to a free seminar and that was it. I was hooked. And, and now here it is 13 years later. Um, I'm, I'm a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, but I feel like, I still feel like the, the day I started, actually better than the day I started because I, I get it more, right? It's, you know, the, the, these puzzles that you're trying to solve as a, um, early in your jujitsu career, if it's a career, those are hard lessons. And you don't even know that it's a lesson being learned, but over time, things start to make sense. Um, it's, it's got its own language, right? Um, it's, it's, there's a lot of camaraderie. Now that I'm, you know, I was very sort of selfishly focused early on, right? On my own development, my own ability to not, not get my butt beat daily, right? To try to get better. But over time, that passion has evolved into a passion for teaching, right? I, you know, look, a wrestler comes in the room, they've got a certain background. Um, they come in with a, you know, sort of high ego based on, you know, the, you know, wrestling is a type of combat sport, but jujitsu is different. And I tell people wrestling is faster, right? Wrestling is more intense, but jujitsu is more dangerous. But there's a, there's, there's, there's a lot that can be gained from that wrestling experience that you can apply but you have to sort of break it down a little bit. So for me, and I think you know this, the wrestler comes in the room, I'm the first person they're going to spar with because I have that background, right? And I, I need them to, to understand that you got to park your ego at the door or else you're never going to learn here and you're not going to be a good training partner, right? So so we get there. But I, what I really like is, I, and you know some of these people, they came in with zero anything. No, no, they didn't play sports. Um, they you know, certainly didn't wrestle or, or do anything like that. And they're scared when they walk in the door, right? I want them to have a great experience because I've seen the evolution of these people who you would look at in a room and say, that's the last person that I would ever have to worry about, right? I, those people are, I, I consider them my passion projects. I want to see people get better. And, you know, I think we say like, I, I, I want to see other people get better. I think with jujitsu, because I've been with people for a long period of time where I've seen the progression, like it is a passion of mine. I, I, my, I'm, I'm old, you know, I'm not going to, you know, have a jujitsu career. I could sit back and say, I wish I had started 20 years ago, but I didn't. So I have to make the most, I don't want to live like, oh, I, I, you know, I've been doing jujitsu. I wish I had done it 20 years prior. That's regret. I don't, you know, it is timing happened when it happened. I have zero regrets. But I, I found that as I get older and it, 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 it may be become physically more demanding, you might disagree that I'm losing any physical ability at this point. But um, <laughs> but 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 I, I get great enjoyment taking somebody who is just a block of clay and helping them grow and progress. And and I, and I hope that that's sort of reflected in, in how I teach, because that's the approach I like to take. I want everybody to win. I want everybody to win. Right now, you know, we have to make sure that we also protect that environment. There are people who 
comes through that door who don't have the same goals or the same impressions, we will weed those people out because we will want to preserve what we got with our team. And, and you know that, but it, they're like, it, it's a life changer, right? We didn't talk a lot about the military. You know, there's, there's some stuff that comes along with that. Um, and, 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 and we wrestle with it. And if we, you know, it's October, um, you know, mental health awareness month, there, there are people who are challenged. And I would say this to anybody of your listeners, look, you know, mental, um, health challenges are real, right? We all have stress. Um, some of us, you know, have more than others. Some of us are able to process it easier than others. But mental health issues are real. What I found that jujitsu does for me is it allows me to completely disconnect. Um, it allows me to put focus into something else that maybe other than family and work in a way that um, when I'm done, I can say, okay, my batteries are recharged. I can, I'm, I'm, I'm better able to now face these things, right? that, that are, are creating issues for me, helps me sleep better at night. Um, so there's the physical aspects of it, but there's huge mental, um, you know, benefit to coming with their, and, you know, you and I are passionate about jujitsu. You know, we are a small, like one out of every 10 who walk in the door, actually stick with it, um, to get to where you are as a purple belt, you're probably in the top 10% of that one in 10, right? So um, you know, people, it, it takes a lot of work and effort to, to stick with it. But I think we, we all sort of do it for the same thing. We have a passion for it. I think that we've all recognized that it's, it's changed us as, as people and how we look at the world and how, how we interact with others. I feel like I can, I feel like I can accomplish anything, right. But not in a sort of like pie in the sky, like I can do anything. No, I have realistic, like you know, I set realistic expectations and I am confident that I can meet them, but I'm also confident that if I'm thrown, um, you know, challenges along the way or obstacles along the way, right. I don't let them stop me. It's just a piece of the puzzle that needs to be solved. Right. When, you know, we, we talk about in jujitsu, we drill moves, right. And you're drilling those moves against a partner who's cooperative. But when you're sparring it, which is, I would say, this is something that separates jujitsu from a lot of the other martial arts is, we spend time actively sparring and applying what we do, right? The person you're sparring with has a say in what you do, right? So, um, and that's real world too. There are going to be obstacles thrown in your way and you think of it as a, uh, as a puzzle to be solved, not an insurmountable, you know, wall in front of you that you, you can't get around. No, you've, you've just find a different way. So a lot of life lessons in there, the mental health benefits are, um, uh, for me, uh, one of the reasons I, I continue to do it. I mean, I think with jujitsu is I never have to get myself motivated to go, right? Every once in a while, I might have to get my body warmed up and get ready to go, but mentally I'm always there, right? And, and you know, you and I have had those conversations. I'm here today because I need to be here today, right? This is what I need, right? So um, I could go on and on. We could do a whole podcast on it and and, and hopefully you know, maybe a few people will walk in the door and give it a try. I, I, I would recommend it. Um, kids, it's great for kids, right? So, so many things, but I've met good friends, right? Met you, right? And, and um, we don't typically know a lot about people's professional lives because it's, uh, I would say that jujitsu is a little bit like Switzerland, right? 
we, we leave the politics at the door. We're all there for a common purpose and that's what we stick to. And it's just a great environment. And that's one of the reasons people come. Um, but I was glad to, to get to, to know you professionally as well, because, you know, outside of this, you, you've given me some guidance along the way and have helped me deal with some situations um, where, you know, look, I've got a lot of experience doing it, but I'm certainly always happy to recognize that, you know what, somebody else probably has an experience that's different than mine that I can learn from. So I, ne you know, I think I said this when I got my black belt, you can always learn from somebody. It doesn't matter who they are, right? Um, you just have to be willing to, to you, have, you just have to be open to it, I guess is the best way to put it. So I learned from you. I, you know, I think you know that. I hope you know that, you know, you, you get me on the mat someday. I talk about it. Not in a, oh, you know, you got lucky, but no, like, this is what you did. I think it went well. I, I, I look at that as I, I got to figure it out. Right. And, 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 and I think that parking my ego, learning a long time ago, um, imagine my first time going to jujitsu as a former division one wrestler. I have a certain expectation of how I'm going to perform. Didn't go the way I thought it was going to go, but. I could have said, well, this is stupid. I'm not doing this. Or I could have said, wow, this is pretty, this is like magic. Like how did all this happen? Right. Well, it's not magic. Right. But it's really cool stuff. So I decided to stick with it. I'm a much better person for it. We both are. We both are. And honestly, I'm a much better person for having trained with you in the way that you coach and you support us and you help drive the culture within our team. You know, for me, I came back at 40 years old at the behest of my wife, I wasn't even really interested in doing it at the time. And I think the last thing I said to her before I left that night was I'm old and grumpy. So if I don't like the guys, I'm not staying. <laughs> and thankfully it's, it's all worked out over the years that have transpired since. Um, but I recall in, as I was listening to you talk about your leadership philosophy and your coaching philosophy, things you learned in the Marines and things you do in your business role now, I, I can't remember how many times you let me make a mistake, punished me for it, but then taught me exactly how I made it, when I made it, why I made it, what the other alternatives were. And then when I wasn't smart enough to fix it, punished me again, but reminded me until I was able to take those mistakes away. And not just with me, but with others as well, who would be successful against you, acknowledging it, rewarding it making sure that they realized how they were successful. And to your point, we were just having a conversation last week. We have some younger students that just started training with us. And I think I can say this politically correct while being respectful, that they appear to be a little bit socially awkward yes. as, as they come in the door. And we were sort of, some of us were training in the back and you walked over and yes, if we had met them and whatnot. And as, as you turned around to walk away, you turned back and you're like, I'm going to make them killers <laughs> with the biggest <laughs> smile on your face. And I believe it. If they keep coming, I believe it. So the problem solving, one of the reasons why I feel like you and I are aligned in our training is yes, we both value techniques, but we're more conceptual focused as opposed to technique focused. Right. So I'm not trying to learn one technique. I'm trying to learn the concepts that make that technique work so I can find it in other positions or transitions where it might be there that technically the technique we were shown 
wasn't for that. So the conceptual problem solving, learn one thing that solves multiple problems, helping build skills within other people, confidence with other people. You've given some of us the opportunity to teach on nice that you were there to learn from us, support us, give us that credibility in front of the other room. So to your point, from the mental health aspects to the physical condition aspects, we've got guys on our team that have lost 30, 40, 50 pounds since they've been training with us. They've done other things too, of course, but that's been part of their journey. So the mental health, the physical health, the problem-solving skills, the confidence, the camaraderie. I mean, I am clearly a much better person for it. My son and my wife now train yep. as well. Um, so thank you very much for what you've contributed to that. All the lessons from your life that, that you give to all of us. And I'll echo you in saying that that's an experience that hopefully other people choose to, to dedicate themselves to. And honestly, I think um, you, can only, you can only succeed through failure in jiu-jitsu. You can only succeed through failure. Yeah. Repeated agonizing failure. Yeah. So, and, and 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 be willing to fail, right? And and be okay with it. I, you know, I, I think I said uh Wednesday night, I was talking to one of our newer folks who, who tends to go really, really hard when he's rolling, and I feel like he's sparring. I feel like he's missing opportunities to learn. I pulled him aside and and I had that conversation. I said, Hey, we're not giving out trophies in here, right? I don't care. If you and I said, I probably get submitted more than anybody in here. Like none of that matters because to me, it's all about the learning. So when you're in this room, the success is comes from the learning, not from beating somebody, right? Because you don't know what they're working on. They, you know, there's you you, you can't perform something and say, ah, oh, I got the better of that person because that's not the way it works, right? Maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but they might be working on something of their own. Don't don't go in there with that focus. Go in there with the you know with be open-minded about the learning process. And, I, and that's when I see it. You start to see with people when that changes and you see, you see, then you start to see the learning accelerate. But you have to be patient with those people because we were that person, right? And it's, you look back and you look at these people like, really? Like, come on, man, get, get it together. And it's not, they were us one day. Yes. And, and, I, and that's where it, you have to be patient because yes, I'm, I'm, I'm coaching everybody in the room and there are really experienced people and there are new people and they all deserve my attention because that person, everybody walks through the door for a reason. Right. And, and I want to get to the, I want to get to that. Like what, what's your reason for being here? What's your why? And let's, let's go with that. Like, I want to compete. All right. Let's talk about it. I just want to like be more confident in myself and, you know, get in better shape and, Great. Well, get you'll get that too. Like you'll get all of it, right? Um, but you have to maintain that balance. Like you don't want to put the the person who's getting ready to go into a competition up against the person who just started a week ago. That's not going to be a good experience for them. They're probably not going to come back. I want people to come back, right? And it is hard early on to come back because you felt like you just got beat. But eventually that changes and you don't feel that way. You might still be getting beat up. But it doesn't feel the same, right? Because you recognize that you're learning. So trying to get people to that point, I think it that's when it sticks, right? That's when it means something to them. And it's not, you know, I want people to want to love jujitsu the way I love it. But I also recognize that it's okay that they don't, right? And and I, I've come to the conclusion that I used to sort of internalize. I see people coming and a couple of weeks later, they stop coming. I'm like, oh, I can't believe it not my fault, right? Uh, you know, it's, it's look, and that doesn't make them a bad person because they, they decided that they're not going to pursue it. It's just that it wasn't for them 
my advice would be, if not this, then go find something else, read a book, you know, run, whatever, find something for me, it's jujitsu. Yep. Whatever works for them. We could, this is a whole nother two hour conversation yeah. we can have. So hopefully at some point, Howie, I would love to have you back. Um, there's a yeah, lot of absolutely. things we know about each other that we didn't dive into in this conversation. I will absolutely put a link to the Milton Hershey school in the show notes. So if people are curious about what that is, the power and importance of that specific institution, yep. they can certainly go there and research it and learn it. And maybe at another time we can talk a little bit more about that. If you want dive a little bit more into some of the military things and some of the jujitsu yeah. thing, if you have interest, I'd love to do that. Um, and I do think I'll, I guess I'll wrap the jujitsu up with this and I'm not going to say anything that anybody else who hasn't dedicated at least five years of their life to jujitsu hasn't said it's the perfect metaphor for life. Yeah. The way you suffer, the way you learn, the way you grow without realizing you're growing. And all of a sudden you have these new skills, perspectives, image of capabilities. Like it's just absolutely worth the time and investment. So for the people that have listened to this and they're looking to maybe find a way to connect with you, I know that you're on LinkedIn. I yeah. can, I can provide your LinkedIn link to, in the show notes as well. Um, if they want to learn more about Eaton, I'm sure I can provide some links there as well. As we wrap this up, anything else as you'd like to say before we say goodbye? No, hey, I appreciate the time. Um, I, I appreciate you having me on. Hopefully, you know, I, I shared something that might, uh, you know, might resonate with, with one of your listeners that, that might be helpful. Absolutely. Um, I'm an open book. If anybody who's listening, wants to reach out directly. Um, they can reach out through you. They can c contact me through LinkedIn, um, you know, reference this. If they have any questions, happy to, right? Happy to, happy to answer. If it's questions about jujitsu, right? Um, you know, happy to that. Because if it's something that you're thinking about, um, I can tell you what to expect, right? When you go in and, and um, you know, maybe give you a little bit better start, right? Or if it's, you know, you, you want to know about the benefits for maybe your kids and things like that, whatever. I'm happy to, I'm happy to help. Fantastic. Well, I can't, I can't thank you enough for taking the time today, man. Thank you so very much. It was great to start my day with this conversation. I know I I'll see you this weekend. So take care. We'll see yeah. you soon. All right, man. Thanks. Howie, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk this morning and you packed so many great illustrations and ideas into such short, such a short conversation. I can't thank you enough from talking about how important it is to let go as a leader, trust your subordinates as a leader, build teams with a diversity of thought and experience and perspectives. The stories you shared about learning from your fellow Marines, as well as teaching them as a leader, that T intersection example of the experience and education what a great example that was. And I could have spent an hour alone talking about interviewing candidates with you, talking about how we over-scrutinize internal candidates, that if we had to teach them to be an engineer, they can learn how to be a leader too. Just because someone was a great doer doesn't mean they're a great leader. Focusing on serving long-term problems as opposed to short-term hiring problems. So much great perspective in there. Thank you. Your background is fascinating. You've been through so much. You've experienced so much. And you're dedicated to teaching people so much, both in business and as I've experienced on the mat. So thank you very much, Howie. I'm grateful for the time you shared with us today. 
Hopefully everybody else got as many takeaways from that conversation as I did, if not more. There's certainly a lot that you want to think about with Howie's perspective there. So before we leave, we want to make sure we thank our sponsors one more time. Once again, Humantel, please head over to Humantel.com and enter the code INQUASIVE25 for 25% off all of their best-in-class online scientifically-backed training to help understand what people are likely thinking and feeling as their facial expressions of emotion change within the context of your conversation. I've done it. I recommend it. Once you learn to see these things, it's very hard to unsee them. I highly recommend their training. Also, Emotional Intelligence Magazine. Please head over to ei-magazine.com for their in-depth library of emotional intelligence resources, articles, blogs, books, podcasts, interviews, online training, in-person training, and so much more. Satisfy all your emotional intelligence interests over at emotional intelligence or ei-magazine.com for Emotional Intelligence Magazine. And of course, for all the interviewers who are listening, please, if you haven't already, head over to certifiedinterviewer.com for the International Association of Interviewers. Go through the website, their catalog of resources, their webinars, their in-person training events, their networking opportunities, legal updates, so many things they have over there for interviewers. See if membership is right for yourself or your team. And of course, while you're there, check out the Certified Forensic Interviewer designation and see if that is the level of expertise you're or your team aspires to attain in the process it takes to get there. Thank you to all of our sponsors. And of course, thank you to all of you who have taken the time to listen to another one of our conversations. We're truly grateful. We really appreciate it. Please do all of the things that the algorithms ask us to do. Like the show, subscribe to the show, share the show, comment. Please share us your, share your feedback with us. We would love to hear more of what would you like to hear less? What would you like to hear more? What are we doing well? What can we do better in order to make sure we're providing the perspectives and the education that you're looking for when you log in to listen to these conversations. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. I really appreciate it. Howie, one more time. Thank you for being here and for everything you've done for me. I truly appreciate it. Stay safe, everyone. Take care of each other. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.